Now, we continue our series that series is in Romans. We've been in Romans 8. We've said it many times. There are theologians out there who believe this is the greatest chapter in all of the Bible. Can we put that label? Probably not, but it is an indication of how phenomenal uh, the information is that's packed in. I'm in there. And we've said many things uh, throughout the weeks as we made our way through. Romans 8 begins with no condemnation and it ends with no separation. So it begins with God saying, I'm not going to condemn you. It ends with the chapter saying, I will never separate myself from you. And all of that is on his end. He is the one that's responsible to maintain that promise. He tells us there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Dan, in the week that he preached here with us, the outlook of the flesh is death. The flesh produces death in us, but the outlook of the, of the Spirit is life and peace. When our minds are set on the things of the flesh, it brings about bad things. Lack of joy, lack of contentment, destruction, etc. that have our lives. When the mind is set on the Spirit, when it's controlled by, when our outlook is, is framed by the Spirit, then it's going to produce life and peace. When we have a debt that we see as a duty, it is going to be a burden that we will carry for many years. When that debt that we owe to God is seen as a privilege, it can become a blessing, not only in our own lives, but in those to whom we serve around us. And then finally, the passage right before what we've read, which we looked at two weeks ago, fear drives us and love compels us. Now, I want to dive right in and maximize the time that we have because I think there's just some profound things in here. And if we will take an attitude that says, God, would you bury these truths into my mind and heart? I think that we as a people and also the people that we serve will benefit greatly if God buries these truths into our heart and if we are driven by the truths that come in this section. Now remember, there's no imperatives. There's no commands that are given in this entire chapter anywhere. It's just things that are true. And if we will be driven by these truths, if we will respond in light of who it is that God has said he is and what it is that he said he's done, I think the benefits can be profound. Or... We can choose to say, intellectually, I know that that's probably the case. And I know I should probably be there in my thinking. But I don't really want to dwell on it. I don't want to act. I don't want to be driven by it. If you're able physically, would you stand in honor as we read this next section in the book of Romans? It's going to come from verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, and hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. 
Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You may be seated. Now, this section, I am convinced, belongs together. And if you have been following the outline that we said, here's one possible outline for the book of Romans. I mean, we are now entering into that third section, and it's alone. So we're preaching that entire third section just this morning. That what this passage is ultimately telling us is that there is going to be a day in which we will be free from the presence of sin. Now, the, the longer you walk with God, the more intimate your walk becomes, the more uh, precious this sounds to you. That we will be free from all remnants of sin, all effects of sin. It's not just that I myself will have a mind that is set on the things above and, and, and no longer controlled by selfish desires. It's not just that I will I'll be there. It's that literally everything in the universe is going to be free from the effects of sin. Do you hate weeding as much as I do? Because those pesky little things keep coming back. And I'm talking about, I, go, I take the time to go down and take my hands. I wait till after it rains at the perfect time, not when the, the, the ground's sore. So, and I pull that thing, and I've got the, the root that's coming. It's a beautiful thing. And I, I, I got them. And I've even put down that landscaping fabric. And that landscaping, fa- and I still have weeds that make the web. They're the thorns that I have in my front yard um, and, the, and the beds are there are so intertwined. I can start pulling and pulling and I, it, you can see nothing on top for quite a while. But they're coming back. If for no other reason, I am looking forward to heaven because there will be no weeds. The effects of the fall Um, We're going to be free from the presence of any and all sin. The longer you walk with God, the more precious this becomes. Sin is fun. And if it wasn't fun, nobody would do it. Righteousness is satisfying. And there's coming a day in which we're going to be free from sin and all of its effects on you, on me, on the creation itself. That's what this section is is ultimately talking about. There's no other place in the Bible that goes into the depth and uses such efficiency of words as this one does right here. Now, here's the problem. Is that we live in 2023 right now. And in 2023, we have lots of things that are are genuinely, sincerely um, enjoyable in the earth. I love technology. I don't understand it. I have a hard time with it. I can't always use it, but I think it's magnificent. So I can go to my sons on a regular basis and I can say, son, what do I do with this? They'll show me, and then I have a ton of fun in the process. I love finding all kinds of information. I remember hearing my dad talk about stories of of older athletes when he was a kid growing up and watching them. In 1988, my senior year in high school, I, couldn't have, I didn't have the ability to go back and watch all these films. You had to have somebody do that for you. Now, we've got this little thing called YouTube. And I can go back and watch actually highlights and games from the 1950s. How cool is that? How cool is it that you can pull up Google and do some sort of a search or whatever your search engine is that you like, Yahoo, whatever it is. You can pull this up and type in a question and this thing will do research for you at the speed of light. And 
I may even be wrong in that, at the speed of something that's really, really fast, and it'll produce these results for you. When I was in high school and writing papers, I had to go to the library, Auburn University at Montgomery Library. It had multiple stories on it. You had, for those of you who remember this, the microfilm and the microfiche. And you're scrolling through that thing. We, just pull up your phone. You can research. Do you know when I shared illustration now, there are some of you that go, is that true? And you pull it up on Google, and I'll hear about it. By the time I sit down, there's already 17 text messages that I've gotten. Hey, David, you missed that one. Wrong year. Technology is, is, is great, but all of us, we are, are looking forward to the day in which technology is always and only used for good. And in 2023, that's not the case. Because there are some that have sinister minds and they use it for dark and evil purposes. And in this time that we have right now, we are having to do something that every one of us hate. It is a four-letter word. We have to wait. We have to wait for that which we have been promised by God is coming. And yet it's not here just yet. Ask any woman who has gone past her due date if she enjoys the waiting. And yet she knows it's going to be worth it. You ever had a bonus check? You know, said that bonus check will be put into your account on this date. And it's the day before. Don't you just love waiting? You have a child that you know eventually is going to mature. And when that child matures, it's going to be an awesome thing. But they are not there yet. And you are having to wait. Your favorite food is going to be given to you on the night that you are celebrating your birthday. And all throughout that day, you've got just a couple of thoughts on your mind. How good it's going to be. For us, it was my mom would cook whatever our favorite meal was. And so for me, lima beans, as well as meatloaf, was coming my way every birthday. And I know what you're thinking. How can you make lima beans and meatloaf better? You need to eat my mama's meatloaf. Maybe it's a dessert. I don't know what it is. All of us have something right now that we have to wait on. And we can wait in one of two ways. Because if it's something that we're really looking forward to, then we likely are going to wait in hope. If it's something that we are not looking forward to, we are likely going to wait in despair. Or if it's something that we are looking forward to, but we're just not sure it's ever going to come then we're going to wait in despair. What is Paul telling us in this passage? He's telling us that the time is coming in which Jesus is going to return and he is going to take us, his people. He's going to transform us. Our bodies are going to be changed into something that is permanent. It is glorious. It is awesome. We're not exactly sure all the details of what will be true of our bodies, but it seems as though 
we will be able to use them to their fullest capacity, and we might even be able to do some of the same things that Jesus did when Jesus came back to life. Will we be able to walk through walls? I don't know, but maybe. Will we be able to, to, to run at supersonic speeds? Probably not, but I sure would like to think it might be possible. I've said this before, but one thing is for sure, when we get to heaven, I will be able to dunk a basketball. No question, God's already told me. There's a time that's coming in which Jesus is going to return. Our bodies are going to be restored. to the, And then everything that we do in life is going to be good and right and holy and satisfying and filled with joy. That time is coming. Now the question is, how do we wait? Will we wait in despair? Or will we wait in hope? Because I think the possibility is there for either one. Here's what Paul tells us. In verse 18, Paul lets us know that the sufferings that we have in life is normal. Please hear this. Yes, the scripture does mention that there are things in life that we will suffer through as a direct result of our specific sin. In other words, there might be some consequences that we face that are a direct result of the choices that we have made. But what he's talking about right here is that just in general, suffering in life, it's just normal. It, everybody experiences it. No matter how godly or ungodly, no matter how righteous or unrighteous, no matter how patient or impatient, everybody is going to experience some level of suffering. It's just normal. Paul tells us every person who has ever lived is experiencing some level of suffering. And the reason I say it that way is this. I know there are some of us here in this room that think, I have brought on so much, and others are blessed in life. Look at all the ways that they're blessed. I know that God loves them, and he doesn't love me because of the ways that I'm suffering. It's, it's, not, it's normal, it's natural for us to think that. But suffering is actually just normal for all of humanity. The second thing that he tells us in here that we see in this passage is that suffering suffers in comparison. No, that's not a mistype. Suffering suffers in comparison. I consider that the sufferings of this present time, they're just not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. What he's not saying is this, is that there are going to be things that we suffer in this life and for every one thing that we suffer, we're going to have five things in heaven that we get to experience glory in. He's not saying that it's, it's it, um, um, sowing and reaping kind of a thing, that for every amount that you have to endure here, it's going to be outdone in the future by this. He's not saying that. He's not saying it's a one-to-one. -one. He's saying these two things right here, I'm telling you, are not even worth comparing. Because this right here is going to be so glorious that you won't even remember what this was like over here. This pales. It pales so bad that I can't even compare it. Let's say for a moment that you have a, um, a, a child, a, a friend um, that is in the fifth grade. And in that fifth grade, they have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. They have a, a special friend. And that fifth grader is experiencing something that is real. 
And for us um, who are now further and, and past the fifth grade in life to look back and say, you know what, that's just not real. They're not experiencing something. That's, no, they are experiencing something real at a fifth grade level. And what happens in the fifth grade when you have a breakup? Isn't there all kinds of drama? Like all of her friends now hate him. All of his friends now hate her. They handle it just with all kinds of maturity, don't they? And if you have that fifth grader that, that confides into you as a parent and, and they're saying, hey, we broke up. Now, what's the worst thing that you could do as a parent right then? Oh, <laughs> child, that's so stupid. You do realize that one day you're going to be married and you're not even going to remember the name of this fifth grade person right here. Oh, child, don't be so silly. That would be a horrible thing to do, wouldn't it? Even though you have the wisdom and maturity to know, it's not very likely that this romance is going to last for the next 80 years. It might happen, but it's not likely to happen. And so as a parent, that's not how you love your child. What do you do? You come right down to them and you hug them. You say, I'm so sorry. I know this is difficult. And at some point when the time is right and it's appropriate, you would say, trust God. And you might even put your arm around and say, can I just pray for you right now? Now, you know that this fifth grade romance is not even worth comparing what awaits them down the road in marriage. It's not even worth talking about what a fifth grader can handle in terms of development and emotional conflict resolution, the depths of sacrifice that you are willing to make for your spouse of 50 years is not worth comparing what you're willing to do in the fifth grade. But what's going on in the fifth grade is real. And loving parents walk alongside of kids and they help them out in this level of maturity. That's what Paul is doing right here. Paul's saying, you know what you're experiencing right now? You're experiencing real, genuine, painful suffering in life. And it hurts. I know some of you right now are waiting on a diagnosis. Some of you are biding time because you know it's not long in which you're going to have to put your parent into a grave. Some of you are experiencing horrific conditions at work. You're facing economic disaster. Some of us are experiencing real life awful things. And what I'm hearing, what Paul tells us is what we're going through right now is not even worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed in us in the future. But here's what God is not saying. What he's not saying is, so just stop feeling. It's not a big deal. It's not what he's saying. In fact, Jesus came down from heaven, put himself up on a cross willingly, gladly, for the joy that was set before him. He endured it so that you might know how serious he is about joining you in life. The sufferings that we have currently are real, they are awful, and you ought to cry your eyes out when you suffer. Well, what Paul is telling us is this. I'm telling you, there's a time that's coming in which all of this right here, it, it's just not even 
worth comparing to how glorious it's going to be. C.S. Lewis wrote a book entitled The Weight of Glory. I would commend it to all of us um, to read on a regular basis. And in, in there, he talks about how do we actually define what glory is. He gives a couple of descriptions, but I love this when he says, there is a desire which no natural happiness will satisfy. Inside of us, there's this, this desire which no natural happiness will satisfy. And then he talks about our wish that we have to find the satisfaction. And then we have this wish to be approved by God. And he calls that wishing for this deep-seated satisfaction and this desire to be approved by God. He calls that wish, that right there is the word that, uh, the, uh, the, the biblical word for expressing this wish is called glory. The glory that is coming, this deep-seated satisfaction and approval by God, the joy that comes to us knowing that we are approved by God, that's what he talks about in glory. All of us are longing for the approval of our fathers. And some of us are still even trying to find our dad's approval long after they're in the grave. It's natural for us to long for that. It's natural for us to like to want the approval of our boss. It's natural for us to want the approval of our kids, of our spouse, of those that mean something to us, that matter in our lives. It's normal and it's natural. This deep-seated satisfaction of knowing that this person has already given me their approval and there's nothing that I could do to mess that up. That's what he's talking about here. This glory that is to be revealed in us. Let me put these two thoughts together. Oftentimes we walk through life and when we have these difficulties, these, these tragedies, et cetera, that are in our life that are so difficult to walk through, this right here, we question whether or not God approves of us. And Paul says, there's coming a time, my friend. I'm not trying to tell you this isn't hard. I'm trying to tell you there's coming a time in which you won't question whether or not he approves of you. And you will be filled with so much joy and satisfaction that everything you do in life will not be done to earn the approval of your father. It's because you have your father's approval. You question God's love for you right now? Hang in there. It's difficult to deal with. The time is coming in which you will never question it. In verses 19 through 22, he tells us that, that God's creation has a guarantee. Creation was subjected to futility, and it was subjected not willingly, meaning not because it somehow participated. It has been subjected to futility solely because of the choices that mankind has made. Going all the way back to Adam and Eve, and so now the creation itself is experiencing the effects of our decisions. And it is looking forward to, creation is looking forward to the day in which that glory that we just talked about, that glory is going to be revealed in us to where we no longer make any decisions that have any harmful effects anywhere in the cosmos. Creation itself is looking forward to that day. Now, Paul's not saying that creation has the same kind of personality that we do. He's not saying that they have rational thought in the same way they do, that they're right now thinking, man, I can't wait for Dave to finally be satisfied in his walk with God so that I can experience the good benefits of this globe. No, 
What they're saying is that they collectively, trees, animals, etc., are waiting, uh, longing, groaning for the day, finally, in which we will be so satisfied in God because when that happens, we now will use creation for all of its rightful uses. It's longing for it. It's looking forward for that day. And it's a guarantee that it's going to happen, but creation right now is having to wait. Finally, in verses 23 through 25, he lets us know that we also have a guarantee. And he uses a word right here at the end of this section. We wait eagerly, For adoption as sons, what he does not mean is that we have not already been adopted. It means that we wait for the full rights that come with it, the full realization of it is what he's talking about there. But look down at uh, at verse uh, 23 and and, is it 24 and 25. For in this we hope. Hope that is seen is not hope for hope. Who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, listen, we wait for it with patience. This word hope is a great word in the scriptures. You know this. You've been taught this before. This is not a wishful thought of I really, really, really hope it rains this afternoon. As a farmer would say that. It's not somebody saying I really, really hope he remembers my birthday this year. It's not somebody saying I really, really hope that my lottery number is pulled out of that little ping pong, the ping pong ball, that my lottery ticket's going to be the one that way. It's not that kind of hope. It's a hope that is there is a guarantee. I know it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. We have this hope, but the problem is we can't yet see what it is that has been guaranteed for us. We've heard about it. We've read about it. We've heard people teach on it. But do you have a biblical hope in what Christ is going to do in the near future? Or do you have a human hope? Because if you have a biblical hope, what it's going to allow you to do is it's going to allow you to wait in patience. It's going to allow you to to wait in such a manner that you are looking forward to it. And whatever it is that you need to endure in this moment right here, you know is going to be worth it. You're not dismissing it. You're just saying it's worth it. If you're not entirely convinced that it's coming, you're going to wait in despair. You're going to wonder, when is this going to end? And you're going to be driven so much by the end of it, not knowing, put it to you this way, if you have a medical condition and there is no solution to that medical condition and you, nobody can diagnose it, there's a massive difference between waiting for a surgery that you have to have a few weeks out knowing you're going to endure massive amounts of physical pain until you get there versus dealing with something in which you've got pain. And it's not the massive pain that you would have to deal with over here. It's just this ongoing, sustained, irritating pain. This does a this messes with our minds. So I can either view the life that is to come in a manner of is it going to happen? I think it might happen. I kind of I want it to happen. I know others think it will happen. I'm not entirely convinced that God is that good. He's gonna, 
Or I can say, it's coming. And by God's grace, I can endure whatever I need to endure right now. John Stott, great theologian, said this so well that I think we ought to end with this and just a brief explanation after. This is our Christian dilemma. Caught in the tension between what God has inaugurated by giving us his spirit and what he will consummate in our final adoption and redemption, we groan with discomfort and longing. The indwelling spirit gives us joy and the coming glory gives us hope. But the interim suspense gives us pain. Wildwood, please hear me. What John Stott is saying What Paul is saying, what I'm trying my hardest to get across to you is that it is okay to to endure the pain. It is okay to hurt right now. If you don't hurt over something right now, you're probably just not human. You probably have emotionally checked out. You probably have tried to over-spiritualize something and let your theology replace life. I don't mean guide you in life, I mean replace life. Don't get so disconnected that you can't feel it. So yes, you've got something right now. And yes, that time is coming in which every tear will be wiped away, which every remnant of sin will be wiped away. In between, we are somewhere between despair and hope. And that's not even fair. Where we are right now needs to be hope. Believing that what is coming is coming and that God's grace will be sufficient for you today, not just to survive the day, but to thrive in the way that you interact with those that you love the most. Oh, my friend, try Jesus. Trust him on this. Ask him if his grace will be sufficient. And I assure you, it will.